0: This message comes from NPR sponsor, Discover. Get the service you deserve. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card.
1: This is Fresh Air. I'm Terry Gross. Joining me at the piano is a terrific musician and composer, Jason Moran. The first time I interviewed him in 2005, when Moran was 30, I quoted our jazz critic Kevin Whitehead, who called him one of those rare up-and-comers who makes you optimistic for the future of jazz. Well, Moran is no longer an up-and-comer, and and he certainly fulfilled his promise. He's making exciting recordings that draw on the early years of jazz as well as the avant-garde. He's the Kennedy Center Artistic Director for jazz, and he curated the permanent exhibition in the new Louis Armstrong Center in Queens, New York, which is across the street from Armstrong's preserved home. He also teaches at the New England Conservatory of Music. Moran composes music and has also put his own spin on the works of early jazz pianists and composers, including Fats Waller and James P. Johnson. His new album is a tribute to James Reese Europe, an important but little remembered figure in jazz history. In the early 1900s, Europe led his own band and founded the Clef Club, which functioned like a union for black musicians. He was the music director for the then-famous dance duo Vernon and Irene Castle. In World War I, Europe joined the Army and fought with the 369th Regiment of the Infantry, known as the Harlem Hellfighters. He also led a regiment band that combined military music and syncopation, creating a new sound. Jason Moran's new album is called From the Dance Hall to the Battlefield, and it features Moran's take on James Reese Europe's compositions and pop music of that time. It's available only on Bandcamp for streaming or download. Jason Moran is joining us from the studios of WNYC in New York. Jason, welcome back to the show. It's so exciting to have you at the piano and to have you back.
2: Oh, it's a pleasure. I'm smiling like crazy. (laughs) Oh, great. (laughs) Great.
1: So the first thing I want to do is play some music. Mm. So first I want to play James Reese Europe from, like, the 19-teens. I think it's like the late 19-teens, playing the Castle House Rag, mm. And um, the castle refers to the dance duo Vernon and Irene Castle. So first I want to play some of the recording, mm. and then we'll hear your interpretation of it at the piano. So tell us what you'd like us to listen for in this recording. And I should say... I really love James Reese Europe's music.
2: You know, in this recording, there's something so raw about the percussion. (laughs) It's like they're not necessarily playing drums or cymbals. It's like some other kind of contraption from the early 1900s. And then there's this phrasing, you know, knowing that James Reese Europe becomes one of the pivotal forces of dance music. There's something driving about it that the way I hear it now is I hear it related to house music or techno music. So there's something about the repetition of that first phrase. And uh, it's just a driving beat. And, uh, and it seems like, you know, it's a galloping song that's about to go out of control, but it's so contained, too, in its energy.
1: All right, let's hear it. I want to say to our listeners... It's a very old recording. It's a really early <laughs> recording, so it's not going to sound like what you're used to. But, you know, try to get past that and just really listen to the music and not to the recording quality. So that was James Reese Europe's band from, like, the late 19-teens doing his composition, The Castle House Rack. And Jason Moran's new album is devoted to the music of James Reese Europe. So, Jason, let's hear your interpretation of it. But first, introduce it for us. Tell us what you wanted to do with it.
2: Well, you know, like I said before, repetition is so important. I think just for, you know, for all civilizations, we need phrases to repeat And James has this simple phrase in the right hand. It's just a rhythm, really. But I wanted to kind of plant it with a little bit of, uh, you know, know, house music, (laughs) bass notes. And then by the end, it becomes an anthem more about a, a kind of solitude, too. So I try to move it through a bunch of different moods over the next two minutes. So this is my version of Castle House Rag. Thank
3: right?
1: (laughs) I love that. (laughs) Thank you so much. Um, And that's music with his whole band that's on Jason Moran's new album from the dance hall to the battlefield. But he's performing this for us at the piano at the studio of WNYC in New York. Um, So where do you see James Reese Europe fitting into the history of jazz? Because, um, you know, one of the things I love about his music is that, the drumming often has like a military sound to it, mm. like the drum rolls right. and, you know, kind of marching beat. Yeah. Uh, and I, I, I actually love marches and I love that kind of drumming. Mm-hmm. But it's crazy, you know, but it's like that kind of drumming gone a little crazy.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That, I mean, that's kind of what his moniker is, is one of these syncopation kings. And I think, I mean, one of the things I had to rethink was, well, what does syncopation mean? And what does syncopation mean also as a metaphor for black progress, too? And when he's coming up in the early 1900s, you know, his parents move him up from Mobile, Alabama, up to D.C., and he starts taking violin lessons with Joseph Douglas, the grandson of Frederick Douglass. Like he's getting something put in his mind about futurity. And that's what excites me. So I think we hear that in the rhythm And one thing one of my great teachers, Muhal Richard Abrams, used to like to say was, you know, progress in music usually shows up in rhythm first, you know, faster than it shows up in harmony. He says it's in rhythm. And if you think about how rhythm has changed in popular music over the past 120 years, it's changed drastically. But the rhythm is the thing that we hear. So what you're hearing in that drum, you know, in the time of, you know, Post-Emancipation Proclamation, what is the rhythm that we need to tell us? Like, where do we follow it to? And I think James Reese Europe starts to try to find a place to plant that in the songs.
1: James Reese Europe also founded the Clef Club, which is kind of like a union for black musicians. Tell us more about it.
2: Well, I think he forms this organization because the music of that time is being put everywhere, right? It's on the stages, in these houses, in these theaters. And also... I think what James Reese Europe and others see is there's something about the lack of respect given to the musicians that are playing the music, especially when they walk off of the stage, too. So what is it if we are making the music that is in demand, then you should come through the door and pay us respectfully and treat us respectfully as well. And the Clef Club is a a massive organization. I mean, they even own their own building in Midtown. And it's something about this idea that you have to come through this door and respect us this way with this pay. And uh, and that also you know, helps out families, too. It's not simply about the musicians and the respect they deserve, but it's also about the community that they live in as well.
1: Did the band play for a lot of like white social functions?
2: I mean, you're right. This is this is what it is. I mean, there's no DJ back then, so you need the bands, <laughs> right? So you need the actual yeah. people. <laughs> and James Reese Yerb is like go-to. He's like a go-to figure in the community. And he's with other composers of the time too. Burt Williams, H. T. Burley, you know, William Grant still, like these are composers who are also looking at this breaking point, I think trying to figure out a way out of the vaudeville stereotypes of black folks and into this place where we claim a presence that is our own.
1: Well, one of the songs that you play on from the dance hall to the battlefield is Ball in the Jack, mm. which is by a black composer, Perry Bradford. The song is from 1913, a long time ago. Mm-hmm. Why did you choose this, Why, and what did you want to do with it?
2: Well, the song is, Ball on the Jack is like a, a hit, and... If I play it now, people generally come up to me and say, what was that song? I know that song for some reason.
1: I I grew up knowing that song. I know the lyrics to that song.
2: (laughs) Right. It's a dance, too, right? (laughs) And the great thing about a song that's a dance is, you know, it's like the Harlem Shuffle or something. You know, like, it tells you how to do the dance. And, like, I try to think about who's making a song that tells us how to dance today. I know Lil Uzi Vert's I Just Wanna Rock. Even though he doesn't tell you how to dance, it becomes a dance craze. So there's something that about these songs that tell us how to move in the time. But I also wanted to pair the song with a great composer, uh, Jerry Allen, and her song, Feed the Fire, because I also think it's really important not to segment these composers and to consider them only making music for that era. And Jerry Allen, you know, as a great mentor is a woman who really was looking at the vast history of, of, of piano traditions and trying to find ways of amplifying them and also uh, uh, reflecting a new, a new way to play them. So I try to mash together "Ball in the Jack with Jerry Allen's Feed the Fire.
1: Would you play it for us?
2: Yes, let's, let's see what this sounds like today. <laughs> ¶¶
1: appreciate the way you combine the past (laughs) and the present the avant-garde and the the very roots of jazz Mm. how did you start doing that
2: I mean you know I grew up in the 80s and cut splice sample trigger you know drop is very much a part of living in that time and listening to hip-hop music Um, and so knowing that there's you know what they call now the blends today like finding two songs that can live together That's an important part of kind of making a set of music. So I'm always looking past the song to see what its cousin is.
1: So um, I want you to play another song here. It could even be just a short excerpt of it. There's something called Russian Rag, Mm. which James Reese Europe recorded, Mm. and you play it on your new album. And I should mention for anyone who's looking for the album, it's only available on Bandcamp, and we'll talk later about why that's true your runs on this, your descending piano runs on this are like so much fun. They're so fantastic. <laughs> and on on James Reese Europe's recording of it, I think it's just like a a clarinet. It's it's hard to tell because it's so it's such an early recording. You can't mm. really hear things that clearly. But your your piano runs are so much more dramatic than on the uh, recording. But anyway anyways, what do you love about this this piece?
2: Well, I mean I think you said it it's drama. I mean, this when this band—I think this is the first song I heard that made me fall in love with the band. Was hearing them play Russian Rag. There's just something so kind of abrasive about how they play it, and it shows up in the opening phrase: wah wah wah. And you just feel the breath of these musicians uh, kind of assaulting the microphone or the the cone, wherever it is in the room. Um, And there was something about that intensity of attack. That uh I try to find a way to do that at the piano,
1: would you do it first?:
2: Yes, I'll play a little bit, let's see. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This, yeah, that, oh. that's a fun one. And I think hearing them play at this, you know, just, I don't know, it, it kind of raises the blood pressure. And um, I think good bands do that.
1: How do you practice that? Those runs are so fast and yet so precisely executed.
2: Mm. Um, I, I was going to say I can't play that for my teacher because they'll say, that's not precise or well executed. Oh, really?
1: <laughs> Oh come on!
3: <laughs> Those are you know, high standards. You
2: know what though? I think I think uh, playing in the past few days, and as I as I age, I know that core is very important. Engage your core.
1: <laughs> oh, and I, really? I never. Th- I always think about the fingers and arms. No, because like, you need a yeah. place.
2: You know when I watch like a person like Cecil Taylor play piano, as much as it is about his arms and his hands, it's really about the waist, the hips the back and the core that allows you to kind of like maneuver through the instrument. And so I know when I'm playing those, those octaves, those descending octaves, my core has to be, you know, supportive of the, of the arms.
1: That is advice. Bill Evans never followed. (laughs) (laughs) He was always just kind of like slumped over the piano.
2: Spaghetti noodle.
1: Well, we need to take another break here, so let's get to that, and then we'll hear some more of your music. If you're just joining us, my guest is Jason Moran. He's joining us at the piano, and he'll play more music for us after we take a short break. I'm Terry Gross, and this is Fresh Air.
0: Support for NPR and the following message come from PBS. PBS invites you on a trip to the future. A Brief History of the Future is a groundbreaking series filled with hope and possibility about where people are today and what could come next. From tech to tradition, from climate to culture, from science to spirituality, join futurist Ari Wallach on a journey around the world as he meets the brilliant minds and brave pioneers remaking people's futures for generations to come. A Brief History of the Future. Stream now on PBS and the PBS app.
4: And this is Molly C.V. Nesper, digital producer at Fresh Air. We co-write the weekly Fresh Air newsletter. It's recaps of the week, staff recommendations, gems from the archive, and a glimpse at who's coming on the show soon, all in one place.
1: It's also a fun peek behind the scenes. What goes into the producing and editing of the interviews, and a chance to meet the people who make Fresh Air.
4: You can subscribe by going to WHYY.org slash Fresh Air.
1: You'll hear from us soon. Now, back to the show. Let's get back to my interview with Jason Moran, who's joining us at the piano from the studio of WNYC in New York. In addition to being a great pianist and composer, he's the artistic director for jazz at the Kennedy Center. He curated the Permanent Museum in the new Louis Armstrong Center in Queens, New York, which is across the street from Armstrong's preserved home. And he teaches at the New England Conservatory of Music. Moran's music draws on early jazz and the avant-garde. He's recorded his takes on the music of Fats Waller and the stride pianist James P. Johnson. Hip-hop and classical music have been sources of inspiration, too. His new album is a tribute to James Reese Europe, who was a lieutenant in World War I fighting in the 369th Infantry Regiment known as the Harlem Hellfighters. He also led the regiment band, which played a hybrid of military and syncopated music, creating a new sound. So I want to ask you another thing about James Reese Europe because it's so relevant to his music. He volunteered for the military during mm-hmm. World War I. Um, and he was a lieutenant in the infantry and fought with the Harlem Hellfighters, the ninth Infantry Regiment, led the regiment band. And some of his music refers directly to the war. Mm-hmm. And... Um, do you do you know why he volunteered? Cuz this is a period when let's face it, I mean, black people had so few rights in America. In mm. the north it wasn't as bad as the south, but mm. you know, it there was no, no such thing really as equal rights back then.
2: You know, there's a a lot of I mean, there's lots of ways to think about um when one signs up to dedicate not only their body but their also their relationship to their family to decide to 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 join a war or to fight for the the good of a people. When he uses his music to gather other soldiers to say, "Oh, you know, you all should come come with us, not only for this music that we're going to play, but but we should try to do this because this is an, another kind of promise that maybe we can make to show the country how much they owe us." I think it's <laughs> it's bold to think this way, uh, and it's also one of the ways that the music to a degree, gets weaponized. James and his band would go around to neighborhoods and play the songs, you know, play these WC Handy blueses and people would want to be near that music so they'd sign up. It's kind of like if Kendrick Lamar decided to like <laughs> just go, you know, people would follow Kendrick, you know, um, into the battlefield. And James is that important. Um, but I think he sees and wants to try something else. What I've understood him as is that he never saw a stage too big for him. And I felt that he saw the precipice of not only of a, a war on the, uh, on another continent, but the idea of it was so large that he wondered how much space could his music take. And, uh, and he met the match.
1: There's a song that was, that he wrote with a lyric by Noble S- Sissel, who, who was part of the songwriting team with U.B. Blake, one mm-hmm. of the most famous songwriting teams of that period and of the twenties. Um, and, So, Noble Sissel wrote the lyric, and this is—it's a song called "On Patrol in No Man's Land." And I've never quite heard a song like this. Mm. It's all about being on patrol in No Man's Land, which is the land between the two warring enemies. Um, And remember, this is trench warfare, and so it's all about fighting and—you know—being on patrol in No Man's Land and. You know, grenades going off and machine guns firing at you and poison gas attacking you because mm-hmm. poison gas was used in World War One. Having to put on your gas mask, mm-hmm. and you know, Noble Sicil is singing this on on the James Reese Europe recording, um, and uh, it's 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 a pretty incredible recording. And I think that he actually wrote this in the um, in the infirmary, like in the in the. Mm-hmm in the hospital and again I want to say it's a really early recording so don't be put off by the sound quality try to just listen to the music and the lyric
5: what's the time nine all in line. all right boys now take it slow are you ready Eddie a very good Eddie over the top let's go quiet quiet. else just start a riot keep your proper distance follow along come on Mother, and when you see me hover, obey my orders and you won't go wrong. There's a men and coming, look out, hear that roar. There's one more, and fast, but there's a very light. Don't gasp for the find you all right. Don't start the bummin' with those hand grenades. There's a machine gun, the holy state. Alert, Gas! put on your mask. Adjust the correct playing and hurry up fast. Drop, there's a rocket for the fight barrage. Down up the ground, push a candle stand. Prepens for all, follow me, that's all. What do you hear? Nothing near, don't fear all clear. That's the life of a soul when you take up a soul. Out in no man's land. Ain't a grand. out
1: in no man land. So there was the James Reese Europe band with noble Sissel singing. Um Sissel also wrote the lyric. Um I don't know. It's pretty special recording. Yeah, it is. Um, Yeah. Now, you play something on your tribute album to James Reese Europe called All of No Man's Land is Ours. The song we heard was called On Patrol in No Man's Land, and the one you play is All of No Man's Land is Ours. Now, Noble Sissel, who we just heard sing his own lyric, he also wrote a lyric to this song. The song, the music was written by James Reese Europe. Um, Would you tell us why you chose to play this?
2: Sure. I mean, just to hear you you know, describe No Man's Land, right? So No Man's Land in, in warfare is that. But No Man's Land for a soldier returning to America, a black soldier returning to America, is about something totally different. And so in this song, All of No Man's Land is Ours, it's a love song. And it's a soldier returning, calling up his girlfriend or his wife and saying, you know, all of No Man's Land is ours, and it's not <laughs> its not necessarily the battlefield, but it is the kind of love field. And with love, they seem that they can kind of accomplish anything. So the No Man's Land is kind of like America. <laughs> and uh, and I think for black soldiers, there was something so clever about Noble Sissel and James Reese Europe and U.B. Blake that they were planning these songs that you know that allowed for multiple readings, um, as Toni Morrison would say. So, all of No Man's Land is ours is a is a kind of a, is a love song, but it's also about something that is a uh, haunting as well
1: when you play this on your album from the dance hall to the battlefield you don't sing but i asked you <laughs> i asked you if you would sing the noble Cecil lyric because it's such an interesting song
2: it is and um and i've uh, had some coaching uh from my wife uh who's an opera singer who's an opera singer i composer. heard her in porgy and bess in yes. philadelphia yeah alicia hall moran so she she's like jason just you know you have to speak it and and pretend there's a harp underneath your arms. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Alicia. Hello, central. Hello, hurry. Give me 403. Hello, Mary. Hello, dear. Yeah, this is me. Just landed at the pier and found the telephone. We've been parted for a year. Thank God at last I'm home. Haven't time to talk a lot, though I'm feeling mighty gay. Listen, sweet, forget me not, I've only time to say All of no man's land is ours, dear. Now I've come back to you, my honey tree. Wedding bells in Juney June All will tell the tuny tune The victory's won The war is over The whole wide world is wreathed in clover Then hand in hand we'll stroll through life Dear Just think how happy we will be I mean we three You, me, nine months later we have a baby We'll pick a bungalow among the fragrant bowers And spend our honeymoon with the blooming flowers All of no man's land is ours All of no man's land
1: So proud of myself for asking you. To do that. <laughs> that was lovely. That was really so good. Uh, and uh, the fact that you whistled was a was a, a bonus.
2: They, you know, I think I think James Reese Europe and all of them understand that the, that when you present music on stage, it's not simply the sound; it's also the drama, the comedy, the tragedy, and all of those emotions kind of have to show up. And they all have signals and ways that they can show up. And you don't only have to use the piano. And there's something about what James Reese Europe wants to animate about the depth of life in these recordings that also for me charges me up.
1: Well, let's take another break here. Joining us at the piano is Jason Moran. His new album is a tribute to James Reese Europe called From the Dance Hall to the Battlefield. We'll be right back. This is Fresh Air.
0: Support for NPR and the following message come from NPR sponsor Allianz Travel Insurance. From quick weekend getaways to international vacations, an annual travel plan from Allianz Travel Insurance can protect your adventures for the next 365 days. And with benefits starting as close as 100 miles from home, you can have peace of mind wherever you go. Get a quote at AllianzTravelInsurance.com.
1: Support for this podcast comes from the Neubauer Family Foundation, supporting WHYY's Fresh Air and its commitment to sharing ideas and encouraging meaningful conversation.
2: What does it mean to be Black in America? An NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, a collection of stories as varied, nuanced, and dynamic as Black experiences, you'll hear, it means everything. Search NPR Black Stories, Black Truths, wherever you get your podcast.
1: This is Fresh Air. Let's get back to my interview with composer and musician Jason Moran, who's joining us at the piano. His new album features his take on the music of James Reese Europe, an important figure in the very early history of jazz. It's called From the Dance Hall to the Battlefield. It's available only on Bandcamp for streaming or download. Jason Moran is the Artistic Director for Jazz at the Kennedy Center, and he also teaches at the New England Conservatory of Music. So um, let's talk about you. You started off with classical music when you were like, about six years old or something. You Mm -hmm. started studying the piano through the Suzuki method, which was a a method for teaching young children to play classical music. Mm -hmm. And you took classical lessons after that. And then you heard... Thelonious Monk playing Round Midnight. Yes. And you've said in the past that that inspired you to play jazz. Can you Uh, play some of Round Midnight for us and talk us through what you heard in that Mm -hmm. that changed the course of your life?
2: I'll play the first opening phrase. Okay, Uh, nothing in Suzuki sounds like that. (laughs) 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 Just nothing sounds like that. And that's the intro, you know? And then it gets to one of the most incredible melodies. ¶¶ Goodness, when I heard it the first time in my parents' room, I ran downstairs to try to play it, but I couldn't hear it <laughs> like i I mean I, it's important to stress that hearing does not necessarily on off you a, hearing ages too, like how you hear and the depth of your hearing, so to hear those sounds and not be able to make them was so frustrating to me, <laughs> and I spent I guess the rest of my life trying to figure out how to make those sounds that can charge and change a life. And uh, Monk became that that source for me.
1: You were born in 1975. You grew up with hip-hop. So you were studying classical music, trying to figure out the secrets to Thelonious Monk, and also listening to a lot of hip-hop. So how does hip-hop figure into your music as a composer and player?
2: Oh, I mean, hip-hop is everything to me. You know, a lot of... Some some musicians, they said, oh, I wish I could have been there in the 1960s when Ornette Coleman came to New York. And I thought, eh, okay, you know. But <laughs> I was in New York when Biggie was here, right? I was in New York when the roots were coming up to, from Philly to play shows. I was here when Fireside was coming through New York, you know, like I saw those shows. Those groups were important, for me at least, because they, they wanted to show the humor, they wanted to show the intellect, uh, they also wanted to show how hip they were with the music that they sampled, <laughs> you know just that sample bank itself was music history, and so I was always listening to those songs with that in mind too.
1: Now I've mentioned on the show today that your new album your your tribute to James Vs Europe from the dance hall to the Battlefield, is available only on bandcamp mm. for streaming or download, and the streaming is free and mm-hmm. download you have to pay. Mm-hmm you started your career on Blue Note Records. Mm-hmm. This was like nearly 20 years ago, right? Right. Or more than that. Yeah. Um, and, you know, Blue Note was a major label, and this was before streaming. So people actually, you want you want to hear music, you had to buy the record. Mm-hmm. Th- that's no longer the world we live in. Um, so you no longer, you have your own record label, but this new album, you didn't even bother to cut a record. It's just streaming or downloadable. <laughs> <laughs>
3: yeah, and yeah. so
1: so talk to me a little bit about where you think you are and we are mm. in terms of recorded music and and fair pay for musicians, right? To hear their work, I'm I love as a listener mm-hmm. listening for free.
2: Mm-hmm. However, however,
1: it's at the stake. It's it, it's at the stake of the musicians.
2: It is, and it you know, and artists been dollars to make this you pay for everybody to come record you pay to be in the studio you pay to have it recorded and mixed and mastered and and um and i think there's something that got corrupt a while ago uh around the making of music and that it's a thing that lives out there for free for people and Bandcamp as a source, uh, allows the artist to price the music where you want, uh, to determine which songs are streamed or not. And uh, so in the mode of the Clef club, in the mo- mode of owning the canon, I place my music there because I know at least if someone wants it, then they can, they can listen and then they can pay for it. And, and it comes directly back to the artist.
1: One of your projects now, I guess you just finished it, you did the permanent exhibition at the new Louis Armstrong. It's kind of like a museum, a new museum right across the street from where he used to live, which is preserved. I think it's a historical site now, isn't it? Yes, it is. How did Armstrong influence your playing or composing? And also, how did Earl Hines, his early pianist, (laughs) influence you?
2: Of course. I mean, Armstrong is, is, is like quintessential to thinking about jazz phrasing, you know, or phrasing. And whether it's at his trumpet, or it's in how he scats, or how he delivers a lyric. And and so that, you know, it touches everything, especially in pop music, too. Um, and his relationship with the pianist Earl Hines is quintessential. You hear these two kind of bobbing and jabbing at each other, the trumpet and piano, especially in the song called Weatherbird. But to draw that long line, that historic line, Earl Hines is also the mentor to Jackie Bayard, and I am the student of Jackie Byard. So, in some very long, long line, <laughs> I am in that shadow of what they created. Um, one song that I started playing recently, looking at the way uh, Armstrong sang the song when it's sleepy time down south, but I add another kind of flair and sometimes that Hines might show up. So it's kind of like, let's see.
1: Doing that. <laughs> Let me reintroduce you here. It's time for a break. If you're just joining us, my guest is Jason Moran, who's joining us at the piano. His new album is a tribute to James Reese's Europe called From the Dance Hall to the Battlefield. We'll be right back after a break. This is Fresh Air.
4: With Schwab Investing Themes, it's easy to invest in ideas you believe in, like online music and videos, artificial intelligence, electric vehicles, and more. Schwab's research uncovers emerging trends, then their technology curates relevant stocks into over 40 themes to choose from. Schwab Investing Themes is not intended to be investment advice or a recommendation of any stock or investment strategy. Visit schwab.com slash thematic investing. So I would love to end with some music, and what
1: I often do... When I have a musician on our show Ooh. who's performing, I ask them to do a song that we would be surprised they like, mm. and to tell us why they actually love that song and play it for us. Would you be willing to do that?
2: Sure, I'll take you up on that. Um, I'll play. Um, I'll play "What a Wonderful World," uh, and and of course it's about Louis Armstrong. But it, you know, I'm an Aquarius. I, I kind of like dark. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, you know and there's something about the way Louis Armstrong kind of sang that song he sang two versions of it and the second version is more kind of like he addresses like there's a little bit of ambivalence about singing a song called What a Wonderful World in the late 60s and early 70s you know in America and I think I started playing the song during the pandemic and really kind of meditating on the moment when he says when I think to myself so this is this is what a wonderful world, you know, and in parentheses, when I think to myself. <laughs>
1: You do find the reflection and a certain sadness or sense of loss in
2: it? Well, I'm I, I want to say that I do have optimism. I do. Um, but sometimes when I play I find something else and the optimism fades um, and it's something a little more humble than optimism. <laughs> and um, for me, when I play it, I feel like, ah, oh, can I just sink inside the song and fold the song over me? And can't I be the polar bear on the ice iceberg floating out to sea, you know, not really sure about where this is all going, you know, in this heated summer? And um, the piano, you know, it likes to spend time in that solitude, too. Uh, and so sometimes when I play a song, you know, all of that is wrapped in there.
1: Well, I just want to say I'm in awe of you. I think you're remarkable. I'm so grateful to you for doing our show today.
2: Thank you also for, you know, making this space. Uh, I cherish it. Thank you.
1: Jason Moran's new album, his tribute to James Reese Europe, is called From the Dance Hall to the Battlefield. It's available only on Bandcamp. He joined us from the studios of WNYC. Our thanks to recording engineer Irene Trudell. Tomorrow on Fresh Air... We'll talk about what it's like to slowly go blind. My guest will be Andrew Leland, who's gradually been losing his vision over the past 20 years, resulting from the condition retinitis pigmentosa. His new memoir ponders questions like, does vision deserve the privileged place it holds at the top of the hierarchy of the senses? How much perception happens in the eyes? And how much takes place in the mind? I hope you'll join us. Fresh Air's executive producer is Danny Miller. Our technical director and engineer is Audrey Bentham. Our interviews and reviews are produced and edited by Amy Sallett, Phyllis Myers, Sam Brigger, Lauren Krenzel, Heidi Saman, Anne-Marie Baldonado, Teresa Madden, Thea Chaloner, Seth Kelly, and Susan Yakundi. Our digital media producer is Molly C.V. Nesper. Roberta Shorrock directs the show. Our co-host is Tanya Mosley. I'm Terry Gross.
4: This message comes from NPR sponsor Charles Schwab with their original podcast, Choiceology. Choiceology is a show about the psychology and economics behind people's decisions. Download the latest episode and subscribe at schwab.com slash podcast. Support for NPR and the following message come from Rosetta Stone.
0: I'm not changing it for anyone. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of NPR episodes centered on Black experiences. Search NPR Black Stories, Black Truths
2: wherever you get your podcasts.